Hello, everyone. Welcome to Powering Up, a cross-generational conversation about leadership and power through a female lens. I'm Ann Doyle, author of Powering Up, How America's Women Achievers Become Leaders. Monica, my co-host, will be back with us next week because I recorded this week's episode in Barcelona, Spain, at the Cornerstone Conference of the International Women's Forum, a network of 7,000 women leaders on six continents. And because I'm the president of the Michigan IWF chapter, they asked me to um, be one of the hosts of their own podcast, which is called Game Changers. And this gives me the opportunity to interview inspiring women leaders from all over the world and to share those conversations with you. So let me introduce you to Shamin Jawad of Afghanistan and Totsi Memela of South Africa, two courageous leaders on the front lines of the fight to educate girls. Their courage and passion will inspire you. I went back to Afghanistan after being away for 23 years. And when after 9-11, I was able to go back, which I thought I would never be able. So the first thing I noticed was the misery of the children. I, I noticed that it, despite the, you know, the whole infrastructure destroyed in the country and their destruction everywhere, there were children everywhere, aimlessly walking on the streets, selling waters, polishing shoes, very young, six, four, five years old, because you know, they were just out of the Taliban system. There was no education system for them. So they were like, and that broke my heart. When my father said, for the girls, they can only go up to high school. Beyond that, they should not go to school because they are going to re uh, marry people from different tribes. My mother said, not with my girls because if I educate my girls, it therefore means that they never have to rely on any man. They can be better contributors because my mother always saw education as an investment and not as an expense. Hello everyone, welcome to IWF Game Changers, a monthly conversation with some of the trailblazing members of the International Women's Forum. I'm Ann Doyle, president of IWF Michigan and your host. The IWF is a global network of more than 7,000 highly accomplished women leaders from 33 nations. We're policymakers, executives, pioneers, and instigators of change all connected by a shared passion to advance women's leadership. Each month, we'll be talking with trailblazing IWF leaders as they share stories of lessons learned and insights gained from their personal journeys, as well as the difference they are making today. So let's talk about life in leadership. I'm thrilled to share that this episode is being recorded in Barcelona, Spain, or Barcelona, as the Spaniards say, during IWF's 2019 Cornerstone Conference entitled Visionaries and Voyagers. And our guests are both visionaries who have devoted their careers and the voyages of their lives to changing the dismaying fact that an estimated 130 million girls 
in this world today are not in school. And educating girls is an imperative, but it's also a complex cultural conundrum in many parts of the world, particularly in Sub-Saharan Africa and Southern Asia. And IWF members Shamim Jawad and Totsi Memela are on the front lines of this global fight to tackle this terrible waste of human ability. And they were panelists just now, just minutes ago, on a compelling town hall session here at the conference, which was entitled, Girls and Education, Equal Access. Welcome, Shamim and Totsi. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. And before we get into this conversation, I do want to tell our listeners just a little bit about each of you. So uh, Shamim Jawad is the founder and president of the Allende Foundation which is an NGO that manages and operates a school for orphans and underprivileged children in Afghanistan. And she serves on the board of the American University of Afghanistan and has been a long-standing advocate for girls' education and empowerment. Is that right? Yes. All right. And Totsi Memela is a business leader and education activist she is currently chief strategist for Africa at a Dallas-based higher education partners. Well, your home is uh, Johannesburg, is that yes, right? Yes, uh, it is definitely Johannesburg. The fo my focus is for the greater continent rather than Dallas. Dallas is just our head office. Oh, there you go. Thank you for clarifying that. And her passion for education started because she had to leave her homeland at one point. And uh, it's an amazing and an inspiring story of determination and will when we're going to hear a little bit about that. But welcome to both of you. And um, let, let's begin with helping our listeners understand um, some of the explanations that you just gave us, the people who are not at this town hall, to understand what is it what are the factors that are keeping millions of girls in the world today away from education? Um, thank you. Thank you for the questions. Um, well, it's a very good question because it actually is, it varies in, in every country and in every culture. So I can speak for, for my experience in Afghanistan, mm -hmm. uh, that what prevents girls from going to, to school. I mean, since 9-11, uh, 9 million children are back to school, while before that, girls were not allowed to go to school. Only one million children were at school before 9-11 during the Taliban era. But so things are getting better in oh, Afghanistan. Absolutely. Is uh, Nine million is, is, is a lot better than there was no girl going to school. So 40% um, so are girls. So we are, you know, government with the support of the international community are making some big steps towards improving education in, in Afghanistan. But we have to understand the fact that we, there are many challenges and obstacles on the way of girls' education in, in, in a war-torn country like Afghanistan. Afghanistan's been through 40 years of war and conflict. Um, from, from one regime to another regime, and then the end it was Taliban, which was the worst of all, that right. did not allow girls to go to school for six years. So, so now we have four million girls are back to school. A woman are m making, uh, we have like a whole group of educated girls that, that they're, they are holding important positions in the government of Afghanistan. So that's encouraging uh, in uh, this very discouraging conversation. Absolutely, and, and I just want to a little bit point out about the uh, obstacles and challenges we also have. Yes. So this is because it does not apply the whole of Afghanistan. It's the 
capital city, yes, a lot of improvement. But then we have the provinces, we have the villages, we have the remote areas that they don't have access. And and then there's a, there's a, a, a culture norms as well that, that you know, stays in those areas. Um, so that prevent girls from going to school. Like poverty is, is a big challenge. You mm -hmm. know, most parents um, uh, don't, don't send their children to school because they cannot afford or, or they only want to send their boys to school because they value boys more because the gender disparity is, is there between boys and girls. So if they have the option to send one child to school, the boys go. The boys will go and the girl will stay because, you know, that they, they unfortunately they value boys more. And, and also uh, insecurity. And, and it's a major challenge, an attack on schools. You mean that their girls, they d their da daughters aren't safe? It's, it's not just the daughter, the country's not safe. Right. When, when there's a suicide bombing, when there's a roadside bombing, when there's a constant attack happening, that uh, you can be in the wrong place at the wrong time. So even if you want your daughters in school, yes. you don't want them killed either. Yeah, and also, in, especially in the in the... I'm talking about the provinces and villages. Um, kids have to walk for hours to go to school, and a lot could happen in, in one hour that you, your child goes to school by, you know, by himself or herself. So if, if parents don't feel safe, they'd rather keep their children at home than send them to school to be victim of a, a landmine mm -hmm. or, or, or a suicide bombing. Well, let me come back there because this whole thing is so complex, but yeah. Totsi, will you weigh in in terms of giving people the big picture here? in terms of why this problem is so severe in so many parts of the world? I, I think when, when we talk our context, the challenges that we have, we had in the past was the issue of, of strife and, and violence and uh, government not enabling access to quality education that started the process. I think when we look at what is currently happening in terms of the challenges that we, we face with regards to access uh, to education, yes, poverty still plays a very, very important role. But also the other issue is the issue of regulation. I think the challenge that we have is that our regulators still continue. Is this the government? Yes, government regulation about? where we insist on a particular mode, which would be contact education, which is not the only mode of education that actually exists. But over and above that, it's the a, a type of pedagogy that we actually develop to make sure that children can learn quicker and easier and to make sure that the, the issues that are dealt with at all different levels uh, of education relate to ensuring that not only is STEM, as we related to it today earlier on, but also the issues of culture, the issues of ensuring that other, other, other skills are just as important as STEM, but uh, poverty is one of the key uh, factors that affect uh, education. Mm -hmm. And um, I want to come back to uh, Shamim, you know, it, but first I want to understand this story. I mean, you have a very powerful story. I mean, I know you're both passionate about this, and I want to hear, but why, did, why are you so passionate about this? The one issue that has made me excited about the possibilities is the fact that when I left the country because of political violence, I actually studied using distance education. So my high school education was using distance education, using the, the postal system. Yes, today we have even better solutions in terms of enabling access, but I did my high school education using distance education, and one, when I did my master's degrees, my, my master's degree, I actually focused on 
part-time education. And part-time education enables you not to necessarily be in class all the time, which therefore enabled me to be able to go and do underground work, which was political work during certain times, and then come back uh, to class when I was available to attend class. Therefore, I, had, I was able to contribute in both worlds. And I believe we can apply the same so, uh, sort of solutions in today's environments, despite the challenges that we face. Because it worked for you. And Shamim, why are you so passionate, um, obviously, oh. founding an NGO? <laughs> yeah. I mean. Well, well it, it, it was the children. I went back to Afghanistan after being away for 23 years. And when after 9-11, I was able to go back, which I thought I would never be able. So the first thing I noticed was the misery of the children. I, I noticed that it, despite the, you know, the whole infrastructure destroyed in the country and their destruction everywhere, there were children everywhere, aimlessly walking on the streets, really? selling waters, polishing shoes, very young, six, four, five years old, because you know they were just out of the Taliban system. There was no education system for them, so they were like, and that broke my heart. You were know, these homeless children? I no, mean, they, they, they lost their family, no, or they were sent out to help earn money? To, to help with the money to work. And, and that broke my heart. I'm like, these children should be in school. Why they are not in school? So when I came back and I said, okay, I need to do something. I have to, and this is why I established the NGO. And then I went back and, and I started raising funds. It, this is a very difficult task to raise funds, but I, that's what I said, I need to do it. But I had the platform, so I used it. I used my resources, I used my friends and corporations. I never received uh, funding from the government, but from, from friends, from people, to go and implement these projects in Afghanistan. And so that was my passion, that's what it started, and, and that's did it, the children themselves. Mm -hmm. You know, there was a question at the town hall that we just finished, uh, a woman was asking a question about the fact that how do you do this work in very patriarchal cultures? And the answer I heard was, that's not the big problem. Is that correct? I mean, there's this assumption that, oh, the fathers don't want the girls to be educated. The families don't want the girls to be educated, and it's up. You're up against that kind of culture. That's not always the issue, is that right? It's, it's definitely not always the issue. Even though my experience was different in a sense that because I had a very strong mother, my mother, when my father said, for the girls, they can only go up to high school. Beyond that, they should not go to school because they are ah. going to uh, marry people from different tribes. My mother said, not with my girls, because if I educate my girls, it therefore means that they never have to rely on any man. They can be better contributors because my mother always saw education as an investment and not as an expense. And she said, even if you're not willing to do it, I'll make sure that it gets done because I will, they'll be able to contribute better to our community. And how did she get that mindset? I think it's because my mother had, had, had always felt that the only thing that can take one out of poverty is, is through education. And she didn't have an opportunity to get educated because she grew up in a, 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 in a situation where her mother passed on when she was still very young. So she ended up having to take care of her siblings and therefore made oh. sure that with her children, not the same situation was going to arise, especially with her girls. And um, I, I continue to be uh, privileged to be in that space, and I will never forget what my mother did. And I do the same with my daughter. I say, you will make sure that you go to school. 
Shamim, are you from originally Afghanistan and then you're finished? Tell yeah. us a little bit about your background. Um, so, no, I am from Afghanistan. I was uh, raised, uh, uh, born and raised in, in Kabul um, until uh, the Soviet Union invaded Afghanistan. So that's happened in 1979. And then in 1980, uh, my family and I, we left the country. And, and I was how a, old were you? I was a teenager. Um, uh, and then we, we came to the United States. And this is when I, well, I finished uh, high school already, but I continued my college education in the U.S. And, uh, and this is when the conflict and war started in Afghanistan, and we lost hope. We thought we would never be able to go back. But then, of course, after 9-11, we had the opportunity to go back, and we did. And then um, I, am, I just feel lucky and fortunate that then I, I, I just... Uh, I found what I want. It was like a calling for my calling to 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 you know help the children. So tell us about your NGO and what is that work? How are you helping these children? So um so of course when I established the NGO we start raising funds and then we have to with the, with the board we decided like how we want to use the, the fund. We're like we want to use it to educate children. We want to start from bottom up. So the focus was children. And then and then I said okay how we we can do it to make, make it sometimes effective. And and as an NGO there's always this uh, a notion that NGO goes and do something somewhere and they, and they are not sustainable and then they leave the country and the project is unfinished. And I wanted to work on a project that it stays sustainable. And so we went and to talk with the community. When we decided to build a school in, in a, a far remote province in Afghanistan, we reached out to the community and we asked them, what do you need? What can we do for you to help you? And and then I spoke with the governor, which was a woman, first woman governor, and she said, built a school for us, for our orphans. And then she provide land for me so she gave me the land and we built a school and then we start the the program and and our curriculum is the standard curriculum that you know it in all school system in Afghanistan but we also built a computer lab because I was strongly believe that this age of technology it's very important to connect our student to the rest of the world and we can only do this through through um, uh, you know access to internet and, and computer and we provide English classes for them. Because in Afghanistan, the they English education is not in an elementary um, level. It happens in secondary level. So so what do we do in a schools, it, it, which is different from any, any, any other one, that uh, in addition to you know, a standard uh, curriculum, we have computer classes, we have English classes, we provide girls empowerment classes, and uh, we, we also do some vocational classes, like just, uh, just the basic health care, um, uh, uh, sanitary uh, uh, issues that, it, you know, it's very important to just uh, teach them uh, all of that. And, and this is what it makes us d different, and there is a, a demand for, for our school. Everybody wants to join our school, but we have a capacity only for 300, and that's what we can serve only 300. But and also we provide a preschool program that does not exist in Afghanistan system. There's no preschool program, but we do because I really believe that these children should be prepared before starting the first grade, and so and also it's a good opportunity for them because the classes are next to their normal classes, so they watch the kids and they are so excited. These little kids to be come, you know, one day to go in the classroom and be. So we're kind of preparing them for this, and and uh, this is really working for us. And if anyone wants to support you, do you have a website? Uh, we do. So I in the foundation um, uh, uh, dot com, and uh, dot oh, and, and then so how do you spell w that? It's www uh, dot a y e n d a foundation dot com dot, dot org. 
Um, Probably dot .org. Okay. Yeah, dot .org. And then, uh, and then there's also a page that says donate, and that's yeah, how they can Absolutely. And okay. Tota, give us a sense now of the specifics of the way you are tackling this gigantic global problem. For us, what we do, I work for what we call an online a program management company. We partner with public universities to help them take their high-demand programs online. The opportunity that this creates is in countries where the issue of resources is a challenge. It therefore means that in instances where technology does exist, it therefore means that students, without having to come to the actual university, can study from home. And I think this will enable us to enable access to higher education, especially in a range of programs, as long as uh, the initial ones is to ensure that you focus on programs that don't require people to, that are not science programs. But it doesn't mean that you cannot do science programs. It may be much harder because the pedagogy and also ensuring that they can go and use the labs in, in other areas becomes important. I mean, one of the other areas that have been very exciting for me is being able to enable access to nursing education for nurses that actually want to go beyond the basic uh, nursing programs because it therefore means that once our nurses and our teachers are educated, they can educate others and we can enable our health systems to get better, but also our teachers can be, can be better educated to be a- able to educate our, our, our pupils and our, our students. And if people want to be in touch with you or support that specific part of this work? Uh, our organization is www.higheredpartners.co.za and we partner with organizations, with public universities globally to enable access to quality education because the issue of quality is just as important. Right. Well, we could talk on and on. I have a whole bunch of questions here that we didn't yeah, get to. And a correction uh, that it's www.indafoundation.org. Okay, we have that correctly now. But I also just want to give each of you uh, one last chance to, to make um, one last point, I guess, um, in terms of what you want our listeners to understand or perhaps what they can do as individuals. Um, yeah. Uh, just make an effort and, 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 uh, and to, to make a difference. So just uh, reach out to your, to your contacts, to your um, uh, friends, to your uh, resources, to, to be able to uh, make a difference. It's, it's, it's not to, like I did, to start an NGO, but you can actually join another NGO and see where is the area that you're interested, that you want to help. Find what you want to do. If you're interested in education, then you can go in a, and support an organization that supports education, and you can do it. If every individual do a little bit on their own, you know, we can really make a lot of differences in the world. And that's it. And if we are, as, as IWF members, I mean, our mission is to advance yeah. women's leadership, and it begins yes, with absolutely, our girls, absolutely. right? I, I think mm-hmm. for me, Totsi? it's for us to continue to educate uh, our regulators and our governments in terms of that making them understand that education is not only in terms of contact education, that access to technology will enable us to impact on more lives quicker without having to build 
classrooms all the time. Classrooms are very important because they enable contact, but it does, if it's not possible, we should look at other means of ensuring that education does happen. Well, thank you so much, Totsi Memela, a business leader and education activist from South Africa, and uh, Shamim Jawad of Afghanistan and the founder and president of the Allende Foundation. And you know, when at the town hall that we just all were part of, you as panelists, um, they closed with a very powerful quote from Malala, and I'd like to do that same thing, which that quote was, let us pick up our books and pens. They are our most powerful weapons. One book, one child, one teacher, one pen can change the world. Absolutely. So thank you so much. Thank you. And thank thanks you. for listening, uh, our IWF sisters, to our second episode of IWF Game Changers, a monthly conversation with some of the trailblazing members of the International Women's Forum. I'm Ann Doyle, president of IWF Michigan and your host, and we hope you will join us again as we talk about life in leadership. Thanks for joining us for our Powering Up podcast this week. Monica will be back with me next week when our topic will be all about the Comic Con conference and the growing presence of diverse women writers, illustrators, and characters who are powering up the fascinating world of comics. So Monica and I would love to hear from you through the Powering Up Women Facebook page or at Andoyle LDR on Twitter. And remember, power is the currency for getting things done. Claim yours and put it to work. I'm Ann Doyle. Let's go power up.